Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Let me take you on a gentle stroll through the archives as we discover intriguing tales about people and events that happened in the past, all of which will be brought to life by an array of amazing voice talent from across the world. We have stories about a huge variety of subjects, from activists to war heroes, creatives and, of course, murderers. We have it all. So get ready for the latest instalment of the Backtrack History Show, bringing the past back to life. Today's tale occurred in the year 1930, but what else happened that year? Well, on February the 18th, while studying photographs taken in January, Clyde Tombaugh confirms the existence of Pluto. No, not the Disney dog. A celestial body considered a planet until redefined as a dwarf planet in 2006. On March the 12th, Mahatma Gandhi sets off on a 200-mile protest march towards the sea with 78 followers to protest against the British monopoly on salt. More will join them during the salt march that ends on April the 5th. On April the 22nd, the United Kingdom, Japan and the United States signed the London Naval Treaty to regulate submarine warfare and limit naval shipbuilding. July the 13th, the first FIFA World Cup starts. Lucien Laurent scores the first goal for France against Mexico. On the 25th of November, Cecil George Payne, a pathologist at the Sheffield Royal Infirmary in England, achieves the first recorded cure using penicillin. It was for an eye infection. And lastly, on December the 29th, Sir Mohammed Iqbal's presidential address in Allahabad introduces the two-nation theory, outlining a vision for the creation of Pakistan. But our event we're talking about today occurred on the 30th of October 1930, when, amongst others, one man was rushing back to Bristol to get married. Word of the Week. And the word today is an aviation term. Squawk, which is a four-digit transponder code given to an aircraft by air traffic control to allow for simple identification of an aircraft in a given region. Another one I liked was George, which is a nickname given to the autopilot system on a plane. Today's story is about Imperial Airways liner City of Washington, bound from Bourget for Croydon, which crashed at Neuchâtel near Boulogne, the north of France, on the 30th of October 1930. Three people were killed and three injured. The victims were James Street, an American passenger, secretary of the GW Camerick Company, who lived in Mount Pleasant Avenue, Newark, New Jersey and two of the company's employees. He died in an ambulance on the way to Boulogne. There was also Alfred Conrad James, 
a 29-year-old ground engineer of 40 Forest Avenue, Fishbonds, Bristol, who passed away whilst being put into an ambulance. And then there was Frederick Howard Mason, a flying engineer of two Roslyn Villas in Cheltenham. The injured were Harry Bolsover, 27, and Frederick Basil Tompkins, both from Manchester, as well as John Joseph Lynn, the pilot from Croydon. Due to the dense fog, the crash wasn't discovered for over an hour when farm workers went back after having their lunch. They found five of the occupants still in debris. The pilot of the Imperial Airways liner, City of Washington, was the most seriously injured. He was a flying officer attached to the reserve of the Flying Air Force and was married. Although he had only joined Imperial Airways during the past year, he had loads of experience as an airman. He ended up having his left leg amputated, as well as having a fractured right leg and severe head injuries. Fred Howard Mason, the 29-year-old flying engineer from Cheltenham, was the only son of Fred Mason of Roslyn Villas. At the age of 16, he'd entered the Royal Air Force as a cadet and served two years. In 1918, he joined the Handley Page Service, staying with them until the formation of the Imperial Airway. He obtained his pilot certificate and for three years had been on special service. His parents received a postcard from him on the morning of the accident, saying that he hoped to be home with them that weekend. Mason was informed of his son's death on the night of the accident, but Mrs Mason was away from home on a visit and efforts were made to get in touch with her. Fred had passed away in the garage at New Chateau, where he was taken after the crash. Two other passengers were Harry Bolsover and Frederick Tompkins, who were employed by A.V. Rowe & Co. Limited, aeroplane manufacturers of Newton Heath in Manchester, and were returning from a visit to Europe. Bolsover fractured both ankles in the crash, as well as other injuries. He would later die on the 2nd of November, with his estate being left to his widow, Gwen Ellen. The plane was completely wrecked. Two of the injured were extricated from the wreckage, but the third... Harry's work colleague, Fred Tompkins, was not on the scene of the disaster when help arrived. Though he had serious injuries to both legs, he tried to limp to the nearest village. I'm an air pilot, but I, I do not know what happened. The place was deserted. It, it happened so quickly. I wandered about for nearly two hours before finding help. We must have hit a hill I... I crawled away as I was one of the only able ones to move. <laughs> Word on the street. Today, my friends, we're going somewhere which I've always wanted to know how it got its name. And that is Cruise Hole Road in BS5 Bristol. Now, apparently, the origin of this name is Screws Hole a family who occupied the land many years ago. And it was the Victorians who invented the legend of the hole in which men hid to avoid the press gangs. Mm -hmm. 
Even with his badly injured legs, Fred Tompkins had crawled quite far. He was found a mile away from the crash by an M. McConney, who thought he was dead. He was eventually taken to Boulogne and had to have his right leg amputated. His left leg was also fractured. All the injured had severe head wounds. Now, farm labourers who were working in the area had noticed that the plane was in difficulties and after the crash they did succeed in getting all the occupants out. Inquiries at the hospital the next day found that the injured men were resting as comfortably as could be expected. As I said, Tompkins had to have his leg amputated and the condition of all three was very, very serious. At 40 Forest Avenue in Fishponds, the family home of Alfred Conrad James, whose career was suddenly cut short in the air disaster, William W. James, the father, told about the life of the lad for whom he'd had such high hopes. Alfred had lived all his life in the home with his elder brother and three sisters until his zeal for aeroplane mechanics drew him away from his home to Croydon. He went to Dr. Bell's school first and then finished at the Merchant Ventures. From there he served an apprenticeship at the Avonside Engineering Works. He always loved motors and got fine when he went to the aeroplane works at Filton. He studied the famous Bristol Jupiter engines and it was because of his knowledge of them that the Imperial Airways took him in June last year. Then, after four months, he was offered a job in Cairo and he went. He always wanted to go abroad, though we didn't like him going. Bristolian victim Alfred Conrad James's father had another revelation to tell that was the saddest part of the whole tale. When asked why his son came home as he was getting on so well in Cairo, James replied, He was coming home to get married. His fiancée went up to Croydon only yesterday to meet him. She is staying with his sister. I don't know what she would do said Francis James, Alfred's mother. He went to Croydon in June and was the only man to get his C and D certificates at one sitting. He was the only man in his Cairo office with the D certificate. Philip James, the dead man's elder brother, was apprenticed with Alfred and he said... Alf was coming home to get a better job so that he could settle down and get married soon. He thought England would be better for his fiancée than Egypt. The fiancée was Miss Edith Breedy of Marling Road, St George, whom the family children affectionately called Auntie Edie. Philip James doubted if his three married sisters, who lived in Ealing, Bournemouth and Stoke Gifford, had heard of the tragedy. We, all of us brothers and sisters, were great pals. Alfred's elder brother, Philip, who lived at 27 Staple Hill Road, then told the press a strange thing. Somehow knew he would never get home. I've had a, a presentiment all day that something terrible would happen to him. When he went out there, his plane had bad luck and he had to make change at Greece. And coming back, I, I knew his bad luck would follow him. 
the family's grief was intensified by the fact that the tragedy had come suddenly and found them without many photographs of their dead boy. Alfred's father, William James, was having tea with his wife about 7pm on the night of the accident when they first learnt of the disaster. He received a telegram from the Imperial Airways via the Fishponds police station. Please inform the relatives at 40 Forest Avenue Fishponds of Alfred Conrad James, who was a passenger on an aeroplane from Paris to London on his way home from Egypt, crashed near Boulogne and was killed. William James didn't believe the telegram, and when a reporter from the Western Daily Press reached the house, he was on the phone to Croydon, trying to confirm the news. He couldn't get through, and so the unpleasant task of confirming the worst was left to the reporter. The bodies of Alfred James and Fred Mason were brought to England on the 1st of November by the SS Maid of Orleans, there were loads of beautiful floral wreaths on the caskets, one being from the town of Boulogne, which is almost six feet wide. Hundreds of people lined the streets of Fishbonds in Bristol after Alfred's funeral on the 6th of November 1930, before the plain oak coffin headed towards a cemetery in Mangotsfield, along with over 40 wreaths. The ceremony was held in the Church of St John the Divine, where Alfred and his sister were the first to have been christened. The church was full, and there were people outside with their heads bowed throughout the service. The city of Washington was a twin-engined Handley Page machine with accommodation for 14 passengers, as well as the pilot, and mechanic. There were only four passengers on board when the plane left Paris. She was also carrying 800 pounds of India airmail at the time and had left Paris at 10.48 a.m. The plane was fine until nearing the French coast when one of the engines failed. The pilot tried to find a suitable landing spot but encountered fog and crashed on a hill near Neuchâtel. The city of Washington was a type of plane that had been used for several years without incident. If one of the engines cut out, the plane would be perfectly capable of planing down safely, provided visibility was clear and there were no obstructions encountered. Incidentally, none of the mail that the plane was carrying was damaged, so that continued its journey. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply doesn't work that way. Even a quick look at a message, for quick reply, affects your concentration and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, you're four times more likely to crash. Think, put your phone away. Thank you. 
top Bristol boffins have discovered that insomnia is terrible. But on the plus side, there's only three more sleeps till Christmas. Back in the day facts. Let's start with the 6th of May, 1882, when Thomas Henry Burke and Lord Frederick Cavendish are stabbed to death by Fenian assassins in Phoenix Park, Dublin. The Fenian Brotherhood was a secret political organisation in the late 19th and early 20th centuries dedicated to the establishment of an independent Irish Republic. On the 7th of May, 1864, the world's oldest surviving clipper ship, the City of Adelaide, is launched by William Pyle Hay and Co. in Sunderland, England, for transporting passengers and goods between Australia and Britain. She can now be found at Dock 2, Honey Street, Port Adelaide, in Australia. On the 8th of May, 1970, the Beatles released their 12th and final studio album, Let It Be. On the 9th of May, 1671, Thomas Blood, disguised as a clergyman, attempts to steal England's crown jewels from the Tower of London. The 10th of May, 1941, during World War II, Rudolf Hess parachutes into Scotland to try to negotiate a peace deal between the United Kingdom and Nazi Germany. On the 11th of May, 1813, William Lawson, Gregory Blacksland and William Wentworth discover a route across the Blue Mountains, opening up inland Australia to settlement. And lastly, on the 12th of May, 1846, the Donner Party of Pioneers departs Independence, Missouri for California on what will become a year-long journey of hardship and cannibalism. Well, I'm afraid that's it from me. I'll be here, though, same time, same place, next week. Now, before I go, I'd like to thank those that really brought today's story to life. And this week we had Steve Shepherd from Bradley State Radio, as well as Kate Kendall, Joe Wilson, Molly Jeffries and Andrea Reid from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. (laughs) 